Hi everybody, it's Jamie, your friendly neighborhood dungeon manager. Before we start the episode, we just want to point out that The Witcher is a show that contains a lot of extreme violence, potentially sensitive themes, and has some visuals that some people might find troubling. And while we try to cover these things as sensitively as possible, sometimes our discussion might delve into some content that some listeners might find troubling. So we just wanted to let you know before we get started, but like I said, we do our best to keep it tasteful and respectful. And now, on to the episode. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my bewitchering co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a woodland spirit that just wants to, like, talk to people, but I don't have a regular mouth, so I have to send, like, little telegrams to people via visions and uh oh that's cute well it gets confusing because i have to communicate in pictures so like what kind of pictures do you show somebody if you're saying hi uh you know standard daisy sunshine wind through the leaves oh very Mm -hmm. nice yeah i use emojis sometimes (laughs) (laughs) i get that that's pretty cool but who am i who are you? I'm Jack Olander, and I'm a blessed creature with 13 eyes and 45 <laughs> arms and 12 torsos. Now you're telling me that that is unusual for people. Uh, not if you're hashtag blessed. Okay, okay. Sounds, Just making sure. It sounds divine. Yeah, we have a good time. I also have, a, like, several mouths, I think I noticed as well. That you noticed. Oh, yeah. Well, you know. What about the ones you haven't noticed? Oh, well, you know, the cup runneth over, you know? <laughs> well, guys, it's not just the three of us That's in right. the room right now. Oh, my gosh. Because our cat Puck is sitting in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we're talking about the Witcher, and that means we have our special Witcher correspondent, Casey. God, I love being a Witcher correspondent. Yay! Uh, yeah, I am Casey, a grumpy East Coast grandpa. If you're wondering how that relates to the Witcher, it doesn't. That's just what I am. Oh, that's good. That works. You gotta be you. I yeah. am me. Yeah. Just I am lean an old, in. grouchy man. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Now, guys, you may not know this, but Casey isn't just our friend and fan. She's also a patron of Swords and Satire. Yeah, pay that money. (laughs) Yeah, what is that? Yeah, let's explore that a little. I need you to unpack that for me. (laughs) Well, what that means is that Casey went to patreon.com slash swords and satire. She picked a membership tier that fit her budget. And every month... She supports the show, and as a little reward for her patronage, she gets bonus episodes 
And she can vote on the movies we watch every month. Yeah, this week I chose Twilight. Yeah. Hopefully it wins. <laughs> Last I checked, it was a tie. I think it's in the lead now. Nice. Also, I think I might have to bump up my patronage because I uh, removed a subscription to another patron who just like wasn't releasing content. So, you know, you can have that money. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea, Casey. Uh, very inspiring, don't you think, listener? Yeah, isn't that I think great? Maybe everybody should bump up their patronage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now that Jamie's explained that a bit more, did that help you understand a bit more about the Patreon? I think it did. Yeah, I think everyone listening is probably rushing onto their web browser right now to go support the show. Oh, uh, great. We can only hope. So, guys, I'm really excited. You know why. Because this is another episode of Satire TV. Yeah. Where we don't talk about a movie, which is what we normally do. No, no, no. This is where we talk about a show. And we are smack dab in the middle of one of our favorite fantasy shows. That's right. We're going to be talking about The Witcher Season 2. And in this episode... You're probably wondering which episode of the show we're talking about. Episode three. <laughs> That's right. I feel like you were buying time <laughs> to try to remember what episode it was. <laughs> the episode we are talking about is... <laughs> the episode that we have watched. <laughs> to talk about on this show is... Season two, episode three, What is Lost? Yes. Or... What is Lost? Oh, that's why you wanted to go with Lost. I see. <laughs> yeah, I just read that in the title of our podcast episode. It says it right there. It does, yeah. It's right there in the description. Oh, shit. I hope. <laughs> well, before we talk about it, we should probably give people a few key takeaways or a short summary. I'm sure they just finished watching the show. That probably is unnecessary, right? Or they binged it. A few weeks ago. <laughs> good point. Probably good to give everyone a little refresher, so why don't yeah. we go to the summary? So in this episode, Siri begins her American ninja training. Um, she puts her whole self into it. Uh, goes real hardcore. Makes me wonder if she's overcompensating. Um... And then she's been having visions uh, that she's being followed or lured or called to. Yeah. Um, and at first she doesn't tell Geralt, but she finally, you know, kind of gives him the lowdown on what's going on. And then they go to the place where Ciri's visions are coming from, and they see the Leshy that killed uh, Eskel. Um, and they could tell because the arm is missing. Um, and, uh, you can't enjoy seeing this Leshy for too long because it's immediately killed, which is kind of a bummer for me. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Um, What's the monster called? Oh. A myriapod. Oops, yeah. Sorry, were you going to say that? The, well, I didn't know what it was called, so thank okay. you. By, uh, a myriapod who then chases, uh, Siri and then eventually is slain by Geralt. And Siri is starting to learn just how effing serious now meanwhile while siri's having her most extreme elimination challenge training yes (laughs) it's true Geralt is kind of having a interesting conflicted experience of 
loss after having to kill Eskel and trying to find out how exactly the Leshy was able to kill him. And he's also having a tough father-son and father-daughter moment. A father-son moment with he and Vesemir where they're basically having to conduct Eskel's funerary rites. And, you know, like you do, you take your fallen comrade to a cave and leave him there to be eaten by wolves. As you do. Like you do. And then he's having a father-daughter moment with Siri as he's watching her doing her her wipeout training. (laughs) 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 And then he's being super catty about it. Yeah. So he gets to see her. He has a little moment of pride. And then sees her just barely miss the last jump. And then gives her a little bit of friendly fatherly shade. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that's Geralt's journey mostly throughout this one. Yeah, he just does the dad thing for the most part. Yeah, a little dad joke. Yeah. Cue a good dad joke right here. Just insert that in post (laughs) for me, Charles. (laughs) Sounds good. Oh, I got it. He says to Siri, have a nice trip. See you next fall. (laughs) <laughs> oh! oh wow that was good it was bad she, but it was good because <laughs> she fell and really hurt herself uh, a lot of times she was bleeding everywhere yeah oh god that's true but i know what you're asking listener you want to know what's going on with the brotherhood the most enticing of the plots we have <laughs> What are the old men talking about? <laughs> They've been teasing us this entire time, not even showing them last episode. Well, Strigobor, <laughs> a.k.a. the lady killer, because he killed all those young women. Oh, man. He's back like, at it again, <laughs> trying to oppress racial minorities and every woman. Yeah. Classic Strigobor. This time, he's turned his sights on Yennefer, who is not only a racial minority, but she's also a woman of power. And a she's, double whammy. Yeah, and she's a hero to all of the mages, and he can't have that. Either that or a spy. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going about that, but it's also part of a plot to get his best pal, Vengafort. Vilgafort. Vilgafort. <laughs> I still don't know what it is. <laughs> Vilgafort? Vilgafort. Vilgafarts. Vilgafarts. I but like it's, that. <laughs> But it's also part of a plan to get Vilgaforts a higher position of power. Now, that's just that's just good friendship. He calls Yennefer to say his pet. Yes. Gross. Yeah. And Yennefer comes back to the Brotherhood because she kind of doesn't know where else to go. And uh, she also is trying to... She left on good terms, right? She was captured, so... I mean, they see her as a hero. At least Taseya says so. And, um... They don't know what you did for them, she says. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Yennefer is navigating her return to the Brotherhood, trying to kind of stay out of all the political intrigue and just lay low. And so she just Just goes along... Just having a bath. Yeah, she just goes along with to say his plan to say that Vilgefortz is the hero uh, so that he can be the new face of the council. And usually Yen would really rail against that and fight back, but she's just going along with it, I think, because she of 
all the losses she suffered and she's feeling really vulnerable. And because she literally does not have her magic anymore, so there's not a whole lot she can do. Yeah, and she's kind of trying to rekindle fr- some old friendships. And basically, so much suspicion is brought up against her that she's left with no choice but to either kill Kahir to prove that she's not a spy and that she can be trusted. And if she refuses, then they'll just like suspect her of being a, a spy and she can't really stay with them. And in the end, she takes the axe she's supposed to use to behead him and she frees him instead and they take off together on horseback and he asks- With the most impressive axe blow you've ever seen where she perfectly cuts his shackles from behind his back without murdering him or like slicing open his spine. It's a fantasy. It it's it slid down his butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> that was what she used to aim. Yeah, perfect aim. Is that why there was a shot of him moaning loudly <laughs> right in between the slides? <laughs> uh, Kahir asks why she's saving him, and she said, "I'm saving myself." Yeah, don't get it twisted. But they're totally pals now. And uh, they take off together, and. Uh, Seemed like Tissaia is smirking a little bit as she's watching them run away. So. Could just be her face. We can't tell. <laughs> yeah. We rewound it several times and still couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a little smirk. But that's about <laughs> it for the episode. All right. That seems like a perfect and very concise summary. So I think we should probably head into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Witcher, What is Lost? I just had a flash of insight that they could be setting up Yen to swap sides to Nilfgaard. Boo! That's I what not. I figured. Well, just because, yeah, she's She's probably going to with... deliver him back to Fringilla. Yeah, exactly, because now she's tight with Fringilla. That's her now, and she's saved. But hold on. Yeah. Counterpoint. Girl power from Sintra. Yeah, you're right. Girl but boss. Counterpoint. <laughs> <laughs> no matter the cost. Girl, girl boss. Bo- girl no boss, no matter the cost. <laughs> Did you but, just come up with that right now? Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, you helped. You said it, too. I kn- <laughs> but counterpoint, fuck Nilfgaard. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm still like, I don't know. You guys are like, no, but it, they're bad. I'm like, I don't No, I mean, I don't... I, I, don't, I need to go see inside Nilfgaard. I don't think there's any good or bad in this show. Yeah. I think there's just fucked up and gray. Yeah, and Istrid was talking about... Istrid, who's back. Yeah. He was talking to Yen. He didn't want to say this in front of the council, but he told her that he, when he was doing some of his archaeological digs in Nilfgaard, he talked to some of the, like, basically peasants who worked for him, and they said they love living under Nilfgaard rule, and, like, it's hard to say whether or not they knew they could trust him and if that was reliable information or not, but Sounds he like Nilfgaard to- propaganda to me. Yes, but he seems to believe it. And it goes along with what Fringilla keeps saying. And it sounded like propaganda, too, coming out of her mouth. But she keeps saying they're there to liberate people and everything. And I guess from watching the first season, I assumed that they were just killing everyone. 
But where we what we saw them fight Nilfgaard fighting against were the armies that came up against them and the nobility. Yeah, I mean this show is filled with unreliable narrators. Yeah. Telling the story that fits their own narrative and agenda. So yeah, somebody definitely said that Nilfgaard is just murdering their way across the country in season one. That could have been propaganda too. I'm pretty sure that was Queen Calanthe. Yeah. I mean, I'm, that's how the sentence she would say. I've been holding out judgment this entire time. Just just, just want to let it be known. Pretty sure everybody knows. Um, but mm. I've been holding out judgment on Nilfgaard. I'm still like, I don't know. I'm I was. Not, I'm. I'm not saying any. I'm not. I'm not deeming them villains until I see the inside of Nilfgaard. Right, Nilfgaard itself. We yeah. did get to see a little taste of at least the court that's now in Sintra. What yeah. used to be Sintra. Right. Sintra. If you're into uh, old Elven. Hey guys, I learned a new um, Elven word this week. Oh yeah. It's Scoyatel, which means squirrel. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's good knowledge. You're like, that's that's nice, honey. <laughs> <laughs> the Scoia'tael are like non-human uh, freedom fighters in the Witcher universe. I see. Um, I like that. But so we see inside the Nilfgaardian court, and it looks pretty plush. I assumed with their tactics and armor that it would be very austere living situation yeah definitely um, not bare bones not very many luxuries but that is not what we see frangilla is adorned regally adorned almost and she has this amazing hairstyle and real, real princess leia do yeah and the elven dignitaries are given fancy duds as well now, this could be a, another show of propaganda, though, because the elves are there and the Nilfgaardians are, like, trying to put their best foot forward. You guys are so suspicious of Nilfgaard. Maybe they just actually do nice things sometimes. This is the Witcher. I'm suspicious of everyone. They can also be violently expansionist, but they can also be good. Sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I think they're vilified... For a lot of political reasons by the other northern... Um, would you say they're vilified by Vilgaforts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, I would. <laughs> um, but yeah, this goes into our discussion of propaganda. Yeah, this is a good segue into propaganda because there is tons of it. Uh, there's a little bit... Not as much uh, Nilfgaard propaganda this uh, this episode. But or is there? No. Well, according to Jamie, <laughs> anytime Nilfgaard does a good, it is propaganda. Um, anytime somebody says, we like Nilfgaard, he's like, propaganda. You couldn't possibly actually like Nilfgaard. Um, but one of the, one of the uh, first moments that we see... Um, is, uh, is Stregobor, uh, telling other mages of the Brotherhood, reminding them of the story of Falka, who was this woman, I believe she was also, like, quarter elven, I think he yes. said. She's also quarter elven, and, um... She, Just like Yennefer. Hmm. Yeah. Very suspicious. And she burns down, like the entire city that was like her birth city and she kills her parents and he's like oh she burned everything he shows that his hands are burned and he's like 
cast this like you know kind of uh fiery body illusion to show strangely like, sexy yeah, fire I mean, body <laughs> he is a fucking incel he yeah. is just a gross disgusting incel like in the first season first episode he had a tower full of like naked holograms yeah, basically basically naked holograms uh and now he's like i'm gonna make a uh a woman that I'm smearing and talking shit on, but she's gonna be hot and have big titties. It's like what the <laughs> conservatives do to Ocasio Cortez. They like oh, yeah. draw these like really heinous cartoons of her, but then like give her giant tits, and it's like okay, I I'm really confused. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you. Do you hate her or want to have sex with her? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you he. Hate fucker. Um. Yeah, he's talking about how. <laughs> Uh, she's, she, like, Falka, like, kills her family or whatever, and then, um, Istra comes in and is like, that's not what happened, like, her whole family, like, disowned her, and she was coming back for, like, her rightful throne. And then Stregobor straight up fake news is him. Yeah. (laughs) Well, pretty much. Yeah, and Istrid was trying to say, like, I'm a historian, I know the facts, and all Stregobor could try to do was try to discredit him by belittling him in front of everybody else in a very clumsy way and just basically relying on his station as like a head council member to have more clout but really what he was talking about didn't really feel like history the way he was talking about it had Mm -hmm. the language of folklore he basically not us Istrid. Well, he says he was there, and he's like, well, you're a historian, you studied it, I was there. And it's like, yeah, but you're also, like, painting this really inaccurate, biased picture coming from an incel. Yeah. yeah. You also committed genocide against 13 powerful women, like, over the history of your reign of terror. They might not have even been powerful. <laughs> True. Well, they were all powered. Yeah, but not like... Potentially powered. Yeah, they potentially couldn't be subservient to magic, which, of course, would make him feel real fucking insecure. Well, yeah, they were all princesses who had magical powers that weren't part of the Brotherhood, and so they couldn't be controlled by him. Yeah, exactly. So, after the presentation, he doesn't state... (laughs) The PowerPoint. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The hot, hot tittied flame girl PowerPoint. He doesn't present any more facts. No. no. He's like, and my case rests. <laughs> he was just like, uh, she's a quarter elf, so is Yen. And he's like, so you're saying they're related? He's like, no, dude. Not all elves are related. You racist. Yeah. <laughs> you like he, turning the table. Dude, yeah, he, he he's literally be- just begging the question. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a mm-hmm. tried and true terrible rhetorical technique that you can see everywhere on the internet. No, I didn't say that Yen is going to do this. I just said that another quarter elven powerful mage did it. You're making the assumption. And then I I went on to say that I think Yennefer is a bad person. (laughs) You tied the two thoughts together. Yeah. Yeah, so the second he was questioned, he instantly began to slander him. Yeah. Yeah. No hesitation. And he never defended himself with more information. He just tried to um, basically talk down to Istrid to discredit Mm -hmm. him. And uh, that's why I said it was clumsy, because he actually didn't back up what he was saying with any facts. Mm -hmm. And he, he, like, continues his smear campaign against Yennefer 
uh, once it's made apparent that she has returned to Urtusa because he's like, oh, well, she was a prisoner of war, but they let her go. Why? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, like, uh, did they let her go because she's chummy with them and she used all this <laughs> firepower? I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Fire, and, eternal flame? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Very suspicious. Yeah, so pretty much everything he, he was... He was just trying to, like, I don't know, whatever. He basically is just afraid of losing his clout with the council. Yeah. And he basically kind of commits a crime Mm. because he infiltrates Yennefer's mind and forces himself on her mentally, Mm -hmm. uses kind of mental domination to do the finger fuck into the her skull yeah like we saw uh, to say a do yeah here yeah like, but that was okay because kahir is not a mage i mean they admitted it was not okay and we're like you're gonna do it anyway though right yeah and uh so he does that to yen and to say finds catches him red-handed mm-hmm. and forces him out of yen's mind and says That's you right. will answer for this and his way of deflecting attention off of his misdeeds is to further his sneer campaign against yeah. Yennefer and try to, like, be like, she's a spy! He's just the worst. <laughs> he is the fucking worst, but he's the worst because he's like real people. Yeah. He's just a sad, fragile man. Yeah. And it sucks because he's in a place of power. Yeah. Which seems to happen a lot. Yeah. It's almost like this show is mirroring some parts of our reality, but that can't possibly be right. (laughs) I mean, I feel like he only has power because he's rich. And he's a mage. Well, he got, yeah, he got rich because of the mage thing. Yeah, mages always get rich. He became a mage. He was probably given a position of power. And he's male. Instantly used it to start hiring people and going on quests to kill uh, young women. One sneaky trick to gaining social clout. Be a mage. I mean, the Brotherhood is very patriarchal. That's why he's in a position of power. They're literally called the Brotherhood. I know. (laughs) I know. And they have to give the credit to the victory at Sodden Hill to Vilgefortz Mm -hmm. as a political Mm -hmm. maneuver. Mm -hmm. Even though Yen is the reason they won. Yeah. Because they want to basically gain the upper hand, they basically don't think that Yen could be on the council because nobody will accept her. Not only because she's female, but also it's a racial thing because she's part elven and everybody yeah. knows it. Yeah. But <laughs> it's also one of those things where it's like the chain of command, like the the like warrior or the soldier who goes out and kills like 200 people gets the badge of honor, but the captain who called the shots is the one who gets like a, a raise and a bump up the ladder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's true. We're creating a new rank to give you. It's yeah. part of the power structure hierarchy yeah. that's already in place. Yeah, it's like, thanks for sacrificing your life. You're going to have to keep doing that. You're not going to move up. You're going to keep doing that. But I'm going to move up because I told you to do that. Yeah. Go me! <laughs> <laughs> and then Yen is like... I'm such a good motivator. (laughs) She's made as like a pawn in this whole political scheme. And she's like, okay, I'm going to just abdicate and not participate in this whole maneuver. Now, one thing that feels a little strange about the political scheming of the Brotherhood is we hear a lot that, oh, we had to do this to save face, right? We had to put 
the V-man's name. <laughs> we Vilgefort. had to put Vilgefortz. You know, why is his name pluralized? <laughs> it's probably a Z at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're yeah, right. It is. Vilgefortz. We had to put Vilgefortz in charge as, like, a political maneuver. Also, men have to be in charge because that's, like, the tradition of the Brotherhood, basically, and they're unofficially pro- perpetuating that. But we're not seeing a lot of pressure from the kingdoms. The most I think we have seen in a long time was this episode when they're going to see the execution of Kahir. Yeah. And we see a few of the kings lined up with a cameo from our, uh, well, our boy Faustus is... <laughs> Faultist. Faultist. There's from so our, many names. From our acquaintance, Faultist. Yeah. Yeah, he he ain't my boy. The royalty, uh, the royalty talking about what Yen did at the Battle of Sodden was sort of like the most we saw about the kingdoms caring about the politics that go on within the Brotherhood at all. Or they're also kind of be crying how the mages have kind of separated themselves in a way, and the kings are like, "Oh, this is a little weird, you know. These mages are uh, vying for power, but what are we gonna do? They're mages." Well, they said there are advisors, but more and more, we feel like we can't trust them. Yeah, it's like the mages doing as well. It's def- it's definitely in big part Stregobor. Yeah, because he is someone whose entire personality is playing off of other people's fear. Yes. And he has spread mistrust so much of everything that now other people aren't trusting the Brotherhood. So that's not going well for them. Yeah, it's kind of a self-defeating campaign of intrigue. But you know who do trust their mages? Nilfgaard. (laughs) (laughs) And the elves. (laughs) True. I mean, Fringilla has been given the authority to train new mages, which the Brotherhood would never allow. Yeah. And Nilfgaard's like, yeah, sure, do it up. Yeah. Get that magic. Now, let's talk about how Kahir is the hero now. Excuse me? <laughs> now, li- now listen what? here. Now, listen here. He's cool now. He has a beard. I was going to say, just because he has a beard? Uh, no. I also like him more these last couple episodes because he's showing a lot of, like, strength of will. He's also less one-dimensional. It's in true. Season one, he's just like a bad guy with a feather hat, <laughs> and now he's like, what, like a evil hot guy with a beard. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, beards instantly make you hotter. So. He, he it's and true. Friend- <laughs> Why do you think I made Richard get a beard? <laughs> also, trauma makes you hotter. <laughs> it's the oh, deep, Chelsea soulful Chelsea. eyes. <laughs> that is very true of this universe, but. He and Fringilla, this season, speak, like, half of their dialogue is, like, devotional quotes. Yeah. And I think that's very cool character, especially for Kahir. They're like, oh, we're not going to kill you yet because it would be meaningless. And he sort of takes a hit to his, like, self-esteem from that. Jack compared Kahir to a conquest paladin from D&D today, and I had to admit that that was a... Pretty good reading of him. So, he's displayed that, like, he remembers a lot of facts about Frangilla's past in her relationships and acknowledges her trauma when talking to Yennefer. So, he 
probably cares about Frangella. Yeah. That shows he has a relationship with another person, right? He's also, when faced with the fact that he's going to get executed, he says a quote about, like, although, uh, you know, I lived my life faithfully to the white flame, so I won't be scared as I go into the darkness, right? right. And stuff yeah. like that. And he's, like, shaking with fear, even on the chopping block. But he, you can see he's, like, stealing himself to stay brave. Yeah. And uh, it's like, oh, you gotta respect the devotion. Even though, like, they're fanatics, they he really believes in it. And he I, does seem to. I like that. <laughs> and he, at one point, while his, he's on the chopping block, he looks up at Yen as she's getting ready to lift the axe. And he's looking at her face to kind of see... What she's gonna do, I think. Yeah. And when he sees what he thinks is resolve there, that's when he goes back and he like bares his neck even more and he's trying to psych himself up to be ready to die. Yeah. Yeah, that was intense. Yeah, it was. That was a really great acting moment from both of them. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, it he was definitely flat season one. It's just like villain, villain, villain. Uh suddenly maybe they're not villains, <laughs> you know? You when but he's yeah. Going through dire straits and he's not in a position of power. That's when you get to see more of his personality. It's true. Yeah, he's laid low and that makes a character more sympathetic. Well, speaking of that, I think we should talk about Yennefer a little bit more. <laughs> she's taken the ultimate blow from her perspective. She's yeah. lost her magic. She has. I think uh, one of the uh, themes I, I noticed is a line from Triss. She... Triss was scarred in the battle, and literally, uh, yeah, she's covered in burn scars, and she's talking to Yennefer, and she says something to the effect of, uh, you know, she's looking to find a new way forward, and I think that's really thematic for not just her, but also Yennefer, and also Ciri, and also the elves. Yeah, yeah, yeah you of, noticed a lot of parallels yeah. between all of them. Yeah, um, and like they've all lost so much. It's they've been through like some really serious, heavy shit, and especially Yennefer having lost her power. Um, and, and she's trying to figure out, like, she says she's having a conversation with Tisea, and. Tisea says to her, like, you've always had this void you're trying to fill. And she's like, well, it's worse now, <laughs> you know? And, like, Tisea's basically asking, like, how does this, how is this any different than any other time you've been like, I'm missing something? She's like, because it's all I had. And we've seen throughout all this entire time, up to this point in this season and in the last season, Yen is struggling with not being able to accept her losses. yeah. And That's kind of a defining character trait. She's told yeah. twice in this episode yeah. by two different people, Tisea and Trish, Triss, yeah. <laughs> that uh, what is lost is lost. Yeah. You can't get it back. Basically, like yeah. they're urging her to accept it so that she can move forward, like yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because when she's talking to Tisea, um, she says to her, I've tried every spell, every potion, etc., to get back what I've lost. And for a minute there, I was like, wait, is she talking about her powers or her womb? Because she also did that. And so, like you said, she has this really hard time accepting when things are taken from her. And rather than taking these moments and being like, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to find a new path. I'm going to find a new meaning. I'm going to find something that does make me feel fulfilled. She hyper-focuses on the things that she's lost and doesn't let it go. Yeah, it's true. 
And her reactions to these things is juxtaposed with the way Siri reacts. Yeah. Because Siri's experience is pretty different. They're going through similar things, mm-hmm. but they experience it very differently. Yeah. Siri has lost her entire family, but... Um, and her entire sense of security. Yeah. Her entire family, her sense of security, everything, pretty much. And and instead, what she's doing is it seems like she's trying to bury herself in becoming a witcher, like really devote herself to this new thing so that she can not only find meaning, but feel a sense of like safety and uh, security in herself that she no longer has to look for it from other people. Um, So I think it's interesting that, you know, where Yennefer just kind of hyper focuses on her losses and desperately tries to get them back. Siri's not even thinking about, like, I'm gonna go to Sintra and reclaim my throne. She does sh- say she wants to kill the man with the feather hat. Right. Um, but, you know, she's not saying, like, I'm gonna go back to Sintra and reclaim my throne. She's just saying, I want to get revenge because you killed my, you know, family. And Geralt tells her, like, we don't do that. Like, we don't kill out yeah. of revenge. Right. Do not hyper-focus on your losses. Witchers only kill to protect people. She said, I want to become the best warrior. And he said, you know, I've known a lot of people who have said that. You know where they are now? And she's just kind of like hesitates. She's like, where, dad? (laughs) She knows what he's going to say. Yeah. He's like. In the cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I, I, <laughs> I, I met a lot of people who wanted to be the best fighters. Where are they now? Holding all the fighting trophies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I was just having an insight. We were talking before about how Siri and Yennefer have this cause that they want to fight for. Or yeah. they want to find a cause. Yeah. Siri seems to have found it with becoming a witcher. Like that's mm-hmm. her cause. Mm-hmm. Yennefer seems to have found one at the end of this where she is kind of trying to find a new path for herself mm-hmm. and saving Kahir. And potentially we were thinking uh, joining forces with Frangilla, but we don't know that yet. You could think of it another way where it's like they are devoting themselves to these causes as a way to not deal with their trauma and yeah. loss. Yeah, it's true. Because, I mean, like I said, when Siri was training... It was with this, like, frenetic fervor that's almost like, I have to do this because I have to not think about the things that yeah. I'm, like, I, I'm terrified of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Siri is so focused on what Geralt told her to face her fears, and she thinks that's what she's doing, but really she's not. Yeah. It's interesting that this episode juxtaposes Siri not dealing with her emotions, whereas we see... Geralt and Vesemir, who are witchers, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes, they're supposed, you know, they're perceived to be emotionless and cold. They're having a funerary rite for their fallen friend. They're trying to, like, actively figure out what happened to Eskel. Why was this able to happen? They're processing their grief in a more constructive way, in a in a very interesting way, compared to, like, Siri. I mean, Siri, I think, is being constructive, but... Also a little self-destructive, to a point. But I think also it's interesting because Vesemir, in a way, is kind of hyper-focusing on his loss as well because he says, like, he's he's doing everything he can to figure out how Eskel could have been kind of, like, possessed by this, like, leshy or infected, basically, by this leshy. And, um, 
And Geralt's kind of saying, like, okay, enough. Like, we have to lay his body to rest. Like, you've done everything you can. And Vesemir says something to the effect of, like, you know, as a parent, like, he's just, like, thinking over where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? Like, it's this thing of feeling like a parent who's lost a child. Like, what could I have done to prevent this from happening? Um, And he he's kind of obsessively researching. Bear, um, like, trying to bury himself yeah. in this investigation. Yeah. I mean, he is bringing up a good point that, like, this Leshy is mutated, mm-hmm. and he wants to figure out what mutated it, because yeah. they're, the witch, old Witcher organization was the one that was mutating monsters mm-hmm. with the help of mages that were working with them in the past, in Vesemir's, like, predecessor's time, mm-hmm. and his, but, you know, it was his predecessors that were doing this. Yeah. So that shouldn't be happening anymore, so... He is highlighting an important thing. These monsters are being mutated. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if he he might be thinking somebody is doing this. Yeah. But he didn't really get to get that far because that's where when Geralt was kind of cutting him off and was like, "You need you need to let the we need to bury him." Yeah. Um, well, not bury, but we have to let him get eaten. We have by to <laughs> we have to feed him to the wolves. <laughs> yeah, as you do. Well, their their symbol is the wolf, so maybe yeah. it's like an honorable death for them. Oh, yeah. Or, or, you know, burial. Is everyone similar to the wolf? I thought there was specifically They're Geralt. all different types of wolves. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, they all have the leftward-looking wolf or whatever. They all have the same necklace, slightly different design. Vesemir's yeah. is very pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I like how um, some of the episodes start with different witcher pendants and stuff, or witcher medallions. Yeah. This one started with a swallow, it looked like. It's Siri symbol. Yes, and the symbol for the show has a wolf and a swallow and a star. And I'm assuming the star, well, it's probably Yennefer. Probably. Probably. I was going to say also with the new way forward idea. um, So Yennefer and Istrid uh, meet again after decades of not seeing each other. Um, I always liked Istrid a lot, but I got a little less into him when he was like, you know, he called her, like, Yenna, and she's like, don't call me that. And, like, I don't know, it seems a little bit like he's like, oh, I kind of want to do you. I want to, like, can we be together again? It, I don't know. I got a little bit of, like, I miss you, Yen. Yeah. Kind of I mean, they were really close. Yeah. In, yeah. Decades like, years ago. ago. Yeah. Let it the fuck go. If my, like, <laughs> 15, if my boyfriend from when I was 15 <laughs> hit me up when I'm 60 to be like, but, like, I love you, though. I feel like, dude, for real? That's fair. <laughs> um, it's hard to remember because they don't visibly age. No. It, and, the, and the other thing, too, though, is, like, the last time that we saw them interact together, she was, like, trying to woo him. Um, she met him at, like, an uh, archaeological dig or right. something when he was working for Nilfgaard. <laughs> and she was like, oh, hey. And he's like, you don't even want me. Like, fuck you, yeah. you know? And you You're using tell, me. Yeah, and you could tell that he was like, man, I would want you if you actually wanted me. But I was really attracted to his sense of, like, um, integrity, like yeah. self-integrity. And seeing him in this scene really disappointed me that he had kind of lost a little bit of that integrity and was like, hey, girl, hey. No, <laughs> it's possible that he's trying to manipulate her, like, Maybe. not even for, like, his own, like, that sexual looks... gratitude. He seems pretty taken with Nilfgaard. 
Oh, uh, well, that was my reading, but I, I I thought that she couldn't totally trust him. I mean, first of all, he told her she could trust him, so mm. that's like... A red flag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, Frangilla said the same thing to Francesca, so... But I actually do think that he probably does believe in Nilfgaard. He believes in what they're doing. This is, At least this is my take on it. But one thing that I did really like is he's saying, like, I'm going to go to Sintra after this and I'm going to try to help, like, the elves there. And I'm going to go try to help people, like, escape from other cities to Sintra so that um they're not slaughtered. And he kind of implies to Yennefer, like, I can help you. You can also work with me. We could do this together. And yeah. this is, like, an option for Yennefer to, like, consider doing in order for her to find a new sense of purpose and she kind of initially rejects it which i felt a little frustrated with because i was like come on girl like you want to feel like you can do something and and you want to feel like you have a purpose you want to feel like people love you i think you know rewatching the first season i'm realizing like she says something to the effect of like i feel like no one can love me or right. i want to be loved and it's like you have to do things worthy of love <laughs> to be loved. You she doesn't just... want to do that. She's like, no, this is typical Yennefer. She just wants the thing without the work. And I'm like, you gotta contribute to society, hun. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Because in season one, she says, like, the only thing she cares about is being important to somebody, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then Geralt, sleepy Geralt, romantic, cute, mm -hmm. sleepy Geralt says, you're important to me, right? Yeah. Which is hype, yeah. but uh, in, in this episode, Tissay is basically like, oh, you're a hero. I was so sad when I thought you were dead. Yeah. I'm so happy you're back. You're like a daughter to me, basically all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Everything you'd think Yen would want to hear, yeah. and she doesn't, she she just looks dead inside. Yeah, yeah I mean, she she's pretty broken. Losing her magic has really fucked with her head. Yeah. That was a major part of her identity. I think also, yeah, though, when you are used to so long having people not value you, when they do value you, you immediately assume it's for a reason. And to say, a, to be fair, has historically not been very loving. And when she has been, it's been for manipulative reasons. So it's completely within, like, reason that Yen would feel like, oh, yeah, she's showing me gratitude or affection or, like, you know, yeah. saying I am important. but. Like, I also don't trust her. And I think that Yennefer, even if everybody on the planet was like, you're amazing and we love you and you are important to us, she needs to feel it herself. And it's never going to happen unless she realizes her own hangups. Like, she needs therapy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's how we can just solve all the problems in this setting. Yeah. Just therapy. Therapy. I'm pretty sure that's what the magic thing is, right? Because the her having power was not so much... Well, like, it was her purpose, but it was her escape also. Yes. For literally how she escaped from her, like, dire straits as a kid was to teleport away into Eratusa. She would use her magic to run away from everything, basically. Yeah. And it was her, like, excuse for not confronting her trauma. She's like, oh... My trauma helps me get stronger, and I'm alive to be strong. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and she's not entirely wrong. So losing her power 
might force her to confront a lot of those issues. So it could be good for her. Yeah, for the love of God, I hope so. Because she also, this episode, was getting kind of, like, called on by the Witch of the Woods, who was trying to say, like, you know, I know, you really wish you had your powers right about now. It seems like once you've gotten the Deathless Mother's attention, she's kind of always hanging out watching you. Mm -hmm. And she was speaking to Yen's mind while they were at the execution. Well, Yen is clearly part of something larger, which in some ways is exactly what Yen would want. Mm -hmm. Like, she has been selected by the Deathless Mother. She's kind of effectively part of this prophecy tied up with Fringilla and Francesca. Like, she's going to be a part of something big. She just... I don't even think she realizes it quite yet. But I think she's getting that indication from these visions she's getting. Yeah. So speaking of somebody who doesn't want to leave their fate in somebody else's hands... Siri's pushing pretty hard in this episode to kind of break free of this perception that she is a pampered princess. Uh, yeah, Siri has been, you know, as we said, fighting hard, but also, like, the, uh, the guys at Kermor and the other witchers at Kermor have, have been kind of antagonistic. They're not exactly, uh friendly to her well one in Um, particular lambert yeah they're not like you know there's a little bit of playful banter she makes she like teases him at some point earlier she makes like a joke at his expense and then you know she's out there training and they're basically like you're just smacking around a bag of flour like i don't know maybe you like go try do some real shit and they get her to do the you know the american ninja training obstacle Obstacle course course. Yeah. yeah And she's, like, bleeding everywhere. And Dude, they're she like, spits up blood at the end of it. Yeah. That's not good. And they're like, yeah, we didn't think you could do it because you're a fucking princess. You know, they're, like, negging her. Yeah. And she finally, like, starts getting somewhere through the obstacle She course. just keeps going back until she gets farther and farther. And she falls and she gets back up and goes back through all yeah. the way. And eventually, like, there's a bunch of witchers there cheering her on. I was like, yes, this is actually kind of (laughs) cool. And even Lambert has, like, a moment that we kind of don't see. It happens off screen for the most part. Like, she gets hit really hard, and then they cut back, and then he's, like, then doing playful antagonism where it's like, oh, like, I know you can do it now type of feel. Mm -hmm. But I think her kind of experiences at witcher school are like (laughs) yeah are like an interesting foil to um yen's experience at witch school (laughs) (laughs) because uh i mean so if you think about like siri has girl that's her kind of like leader figure um or authority figure and Geralt is a little bit overprotective, a little bit overbearing, wants her to be safe, but I mean, also, he's been a dad for, like, two weeks. Yeah, but he's also, like, very caring, very supportive, you know, like, he's just, like, a good guy. Uh, meanwhile, Yen had Taseya, and Taseya had, like, absolutely, uh, just, like, no regard for her students' lives. Like, straight up turned some of them into eels. Some of them are, like, I don't know if they die, but there's, like, the scene with the lightning bolt in the first season. Oh, some, some the, die. Them definitely yeah. died right then. Yeah. And she's just like, I'm not gonna tell you how it's done. Just, like, fucking do it. I don't know. Figure it out. Like, she 
She doesn't teach anyone. She's not supportive. She lets Fringilla's arm or hand go black in the first test with the lily lape and the rock and the flower. Yeah. Doesn't tell anybody. Like, she she just, like, doesn't give a shit. She's not overprotective. She's the opposite. She's, like, very sacrificial of her, her yes. uh, students. And she's mean. And I think it's interesting that, like, Siri's going through this growth and, and she... You know, she's struggling, but she seems like she's she's going to be on a better track to be more emotionally stable than Yennefer because, like, of, like, having a good leader figure to be supportive. Yeah. Um, Geralt is stoic, but caring. Yeah. I would say one of their commonalities between Ciri and Yennefer's experience in their training is that they both struggle to have acceptance Mm -hmm. by other people. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just... Like it manifests in different ways. Yeah. Definitely. And so they both kind of want to find a place where they can call home, like where they belong. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they aren't like totally conscious of that. Yeah. Uh it seems to be what drives them, even though they don't always act in ways that will get them what they want, which is kind of what we all do. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other interesting thing too is like Yen went from like a poor pig keeper to like a royal mage. So like her schooling process like mm-hmm. led her from like poverty and abuse towards being like powerful and like living in, you know, a castle and uh series kind of experiencing the opposite. She yeah. started as a princess and is now like living kind she she's not homeless but she kind of is you know like technically Kermorn is her home but um also like she's at a school that isn't even a school anymore yeah it's not really a school <laughs> it's like this winter home for witchers that has been completely ransacked and mostly devastated it's ramshackle it's run down they haven't tried to fix it i was gonna yeah, say and they're not training anybody really no. no it's a it's a lovely winter retreat you know <laughs> with fresh dirt flooring yeah, yeah. Rats, rats to know yeah rats to know which rooms are warm yeah and snow on your windowsill yeah inside your room <laughs> <laughs> it's everything you want <laughs> yeah but something else that's really cool with siri that we're starting to get a better idea of is how monsters seem to be drawn to her. Yes. And they don't want to just kill her. <laughs> Presumably. I mean, we saw it with the Bruxa. Bruxa. I hope I'm saying that. Whatever. One of those. She had a name, you know. Oh, yeah. What the hell's a Bruxa? Farina. What the hell's a Farina? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Verena was just curious about her and said mm-hmm. that we're kind of the same. We're different from other people. <laughs> we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> people really like saying that in this show. Yeah. And then the Leshy was calling out to Siri and, like, sending her visions and, like, basically trying to lure her there. We don't know and if was, like, Leshy... hiding her dress in the wall. Yeah, that was interesting. We don't know if the Leshy was going to harm Siri. Might have been trying to make her into a leshy. And the leshy wouldn't see that as harming her. So. <laughs> but humans would. Yeah. Uh, what was that other monster that we saw? The Myriapod. The Myriapod you think is going to try to kill her because the first thing we see it do when it enters the screen is kill the leshy. But then you get the idea that may- maybe they're competing for Siri's attention because... <laughs> 
when it pick me pick me (laughs) when it the myriapod finally corners siri it's not it could have skewered her it's actually using its pincers to like block siri's path so she can't run away and it has all these human hands on its torso and it tries to reach one out to siri rather than attack her but and that's when Geralt kills it so it's like what is going on there? We have no idea. And but... Siri does not seem to have noticed the possibility that the Myriapod was actually reaching out to her. She's just like, oh, Geralt, you saved me. I learned a little bit of lore about the Witcher world recently. Yeah. You'll recall back in season one, the episode with three jackdoors, who is a golden dragon. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the chapter of the novel, where Geralt is speaking with the dragon. The dragon explains that a lot of monstrous creatures in the Witcher world, especially dragons, have an inherent disgust toward humans that is... (laughs) Relatable. It's instinctual, however. He explains that they just have a revulsion on sight to humans. And who can blame them? Dragons do? Dragons do. And like mystical creatures. And mystical creatures. Oh. Which is why it's fascinating to me the idea that things are attracted to Siri. I don't know. Those two concepts could be related. Oh, you are so right. That is really cool because humans aren't native to this world. Yeah. They were brought there at the conjunction of the spheres the last time. And... The elves are a part of the world, and they don't seem to have, like, the same trouble with monsters that humans do, as far as we can tell. And Ciri is part elven, so maybe they can sense that elder blood in her. If you guys are right that they're trying to get um, her attention, the thing that I think is interesting is in the first episode of this season... Uh, Geralt is like, oh, that brook's a, it's a monster, kill it. And, like, historically, Geralt is not like, kill the monster, it's bad. He's yeah. usually like, let's take a nuanced approach yeah. to this. <laughs> um, and, like, again, he's like, I'm gonna kill the monster, it's bad. In this situation, he's like, I'm gonna kill the Mariapod or whatever it's called. And, you know, he just, like, immediately goes to kill it, but I think that there might be an opportunity for us to see that the guy who insists that, like, you know, there's two sides to every story except for monsters might be wrong. There might even be two sides to the monster story as well. Well, and I think that Geralt's attitude towards the monsters changes in relation to Siri. Normally he would be maybe more willing to mm. try to look for other solutions, but he is feeling so protective of That's Siri true. that he's like, oh no, I don't have time to take a chance with a Brucia or a Myriapod or anything that might yeah. otherwise not be like a actual threat. When it comes to Siri, he's like, nope, not going to take any chances. Cut the head off. Yeah. That's true. They are Which he's t- done to both the things yeah. that were potentially... Yeah. Getting close to Siri. Well, and dangerous. More overtly dangerous. Yeah, yeah. But so, what we're talking about with the lore about the monsters and, like, the difference between humans and elves, I'm remembering something from the Nightmare of the Wolf, the animated... um, Prequel. Prequel about Vesemir that we watched and uh, did an episode on before. So... If you guys remember... I don't. One of the reasons that they were 
so mad and fighting against Kitsu, the mutated elf, Vesemir and Tetra were leading a campaign against Kitsu, who was trying to rally the monsters against the human world. And Kitsu was a mutated elf. Okay. She had been mutated by Vesemir's order, the the witchers. Mm She was stealing elven children to mutate them to have others like herself. Mm-hmm. And she was mutating monsters. Okay. And in this episode, like Vesemir says that monsters are being mutated. Yeah. And Kitsu got away mm. in the movie that we watched. Got it. And she's an elf, so she's long lived. Yep. Yeah. So she could be the one who's still mutating monsters. Okay. So Vesemir might be having a flashback and going like, ah, it's my old nemesis, Kitsu. Now, I don't know if this is the case, but I, I kind of wonder if it might, because they specifically had that come out before this season came out. Well, and there's other references to the Nightmare of the Wolf in this season, too. So, like, there's clearly connective tissue. It's true. Guys, I think we've covered everything we have time for in this episode. We should probably move on to final thoughts. All right, guys. We've had another exciting episode of The Witcher. Any final thoughts? Actually, yeah. Something just came to me. Geralt admitted that he saw Ciri's mother's display of power. Yes. And she realizes, oh... I guess I can trust you with that information. He's like, well, I guess I'm glad you finally realized that. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I've been curious this whole time if they're going to start incorporating her magical abilities into the training. And I think now that it's kind of out in the open, we might start seeing that. And I, I've been kind of like anticipating that and looking forward to seeing that. I, um, I always viewed her hesitancy to talk to him about her magical powers as being less of like, can I trust him? And more like that kind of thing that teenagers do where they're sometimes going through things and they don't really realize that they should talk to somebody. Yeah. And they're just nervous and scared because they don't know what it is. And so they don't like, you know, I remember one time when I was 12, I had these weird lines on my butt and I didn't want to tell anyone. And I was mortified. And one time my mom saw them and she was like, Oh, you have stretch marks. And uh, it's because I have a fat ass. Um, But it's just one of those things, you know, like stretch marks, superpowers. You're just like, I don't know what's going on and I don't want to tell anyone. My body's going through changes. (laughs) And then somebody's just like, oh, yeah, I saw that thing. And you're like, oh, I guess we can just talk about this. It doesn't have to be weird. Yeah. It's the same thing. Same exact thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Completely parallel experience. I see yeah. no difference. Yeah. <laughs> Stretch marks were your magic power? Yes. <laughs> Stretch marks are like the difference between being a lion and a tiger. Yeah. It's just a different pelt. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Very nice. I'm realizing there is, real quick, one thing we didn't just like really point out about the double standard, patriarchal double standard in the Brotherhood, with, uh, with Yennefer and Istrid coming back into the fold, mm-hmm. at least temporarily. Istrid spent a lot of time in Nilfgaard. Mm. And when yeah. he... Suspicious. 
when he comes in, he is not thrown under suspicion. Mm-hmm. They yep. take him at his word that he basically wasn't turned. And they ask him for intel. Yeah. And we're, he lies to he them. He lies to yeah. them. Yeah. He is actually more of a spy. Yennefer tells them the truth, and she is immediately put under suspicion. She's yeah. an elf, part elf, and she's a woman. Yeah. And she she's not taken at her word, and she's mistrusted immediately. Yeah. Damn, I didn't even think about that. Good catch. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. This brotherhood seems a little problematic. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they seem like they need to be overthrown. I think that's probably why Yennefer's gonna go see Frangilla, right? <laughs> you have such high hopes for her. I'm like, Yennefer's gonna be like, listen, can I hang out with you guys? Because, I don't know, I feel like you guys hate me the least of everybody else. Maybe. It's really just who dislikes me the least. Not like, where can I be, you know, helpful? <laughs> <laughs> How can I contribute? <laughs> who doesn't want to kill me? Yeah, it's more She's that. looking for a purpose, like you mentioned before, yeah. but... Maybe it's not as uh, well thought out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've seen her look at the world around her and still think, I don't know. And I'm like, <laughs> girl, you can do things. Yeah. You are, like, insanely powerful. And she's like, I mean, I don't know. The elves, like, they want a home to their own. I'm not going to help them with that. I'm like, you, you fucking could, though. I know. Yeah, like, she was literally in their camp and decided to leave their camp and, like, leave Frangilla and Francesca, you know, who were like, we're gonna go try to do this thing. She's like, nah, nah. But this way, she could save Kahir, and maybe it's all part of the prophecy. I think she's saving Kahir to save her own ass, like she said. Well, it's true. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not part of some larger destiny. Alright guys, well, I think that'll pretty much do it for us on this episode of Satire TV. As always, if you enjoyed the show, you should probably head on over to social media, the monolithic concept, or, you know, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. You can follow us at Swords and Satire, catch up with the show, see what movies and shows we're watching, and check out some memes that we post for every episode. If you want to learn a little bit more about who we are, about our show, and get a little taste of what we do. Man, I want to learn more about who we are. (laughs) You can actually go to our website. We have a freaking website now, guys. It's swordsandsatire.com. And so you can head over there, check out all the pages that we constructed, and uh, find all the links to where you can listen and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Chelsea's using the royal we because she did all the work. (laughs) You guys helped. Emotional support. And like we mentioned earlier, if you really want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash swords and satire and set yourself up for a monthly donation to the show. We really appreciate it. Like we said, it helps us keep the show going. And um, just a shout out again to all of our patrons who are currently supporting us. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. (laughs) 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 But if you don't have a few extra coins to toss toward your favorite podcasters, another way you can support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. You could even watch the same media that we're talking about and listen to the episode together. Boy, I hope we don't say anything too embarrassing. I hope we do.
<laughs> well, until next time, Hail, Hail Prom! prom!